I don't know whether I'm getting soft in my old age, but I, I never see that video without being moved. And I, I, I try and work out what, what is it that moves me. I'll tell you what it moves me. It moves me watching children receive just a gift out of the blue that they, they don't deserve, that they haven't, you know, arranged. And the excitement and the joy on their face, you know, and I think maybe sometimes as adults we forget what God has given to us. And we can lose the excitement and the joy of this great gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It's a great reminder to me that if we, you know, Jesus said we should become like little children if we're to inherit the kingdom. I want to be a bit more like that. Amen? Anyway, that's nothing to do with what we're doing this morning. This morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Malachi. Malachi's name means God's messenger. It's a short book in the Bible, and it takes the form of a conversation between God and between his chosen people, the Israelites. And if you've been here or you've been listening online, I hope you can see that there's a, a pattern that has emerged over the last few weeks where God, in this conversation, sets out something about himself, a great truth he declares about himself. And then in the light of that truth, it kind of reflects onto his people, Israel. And we see that the reflection is revealing, is challenging, and not always flattering. Two weeks ago, Steve spoke about God's declaration, I have loved you. I have loved you. Last week, John spoke about God's declaration, I am your father. And this week, we're looking at God's declaration about his greatness, his greatness. And yet, for all, we're going to look at God's greatness. I think what we hear in our short reading today is God's heart that longs for real relationship and a people that appreciate him and know him for who he is. So let's turn to our Bible passage. It's from Malachi, chapter 1, verses 10 to 14, and it goes like this. This is God speaking. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it. But then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Think of the 
greatest person that you know? Or if you don't know any like me, maybe you think of the greatest person you know of. Some great leader. Think of the greatest military power that you have seen in your lifetime or know about in our history. The greatest powers that have conquered huge tracts of the earth. But you know, if you were to put all of those together and they arrayed themselves against God, Psalm 1 tells us that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Is that all you got? Really? <laughs> you know, the powers of this earth, the kings of this earth, are nothing compared to God. God is so far above our imaginings. He is not only great, He is great in everything He does. It oozes out of Him. Greatness oozes out of Him. He is great in His power. He's great in His love. He's great in His mercy. We've been singing this morning. He's great in His judgments and His justice. He's great in grace. He's great in His faithfulness. No character weaknesses or character defects in our God. He is light. There's no darkness in Him. No two-faced approach from God. The Bible says God is great and greatly to be praised. The whole of creation, imagine it, the whole of creation is just waiting for God's ultimate plan to come to fruition. Standing on tiptoe, the Bible says it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the God that Jesus has made a way for us to come to. This consuming fire, this eternal Father, this glorious great God. He is all of these things all at the same time. And I don't know about you, but I suspect it's true. My finite brain wrestles to bring them all into view at the same time. He is all I've said and more. And he is all of that all the time. You know, when you look at a mountain range, it becomes obvious, doesn't it, that you are standing on the plain. When you look at the sky and the stars, it becomes obvious we are earthbound creatures. When the light of God's glory is shown, it shows up that we walk in darkness. When the truth of God's greatness is there, it, it just reveals how small we are. When His perfection appears, it's like a plumb line that shows the crookedness of my heart. And His perfection shows up my brokenness. Yet, yet, the glorious good news that we enjoy and that we preach is this. This same great God is the one who came down from His heaven and came down to our level in Jesus. This is the God who lifts us up from our earthbound dust to be with Him in heavenly places. This is the same God whose light 
has shone into our hearts, whose truth has come to set us free, and who straightens out our crookedness and heals our brokenness. Oh, how worthy He is of our worship as we've been singing this morning. How worthy He is of our lives given to Him in view of what He's done. Last week, John spoke about the privilege which is ours in Christ to know God as Father, intimate, wonderful. But we have to hold that alongside something else that we look at today, of who our Father actually is. And that can be a struggle for us, can't it? We tend to lurch, I do, from one to the other. You know, as someone said, he's God Almighty, not God Almighty. God Almighty, not God Almighty. We need to remember who our Father is. And God declares in this passage a truth that he will be worshipped from where the place the sun rises to where it sets in every nation. His name will be feared and honored because he is a great king. That's not a debate. It's a statement. In fact, it's a prophetic statement. God will be worshipped everywhere, all the time, by every nation. His honor will spread across the world. It's a given. And in Malachi, this is the last book in the Old Testament, this prophetic promise rings out across the silence from God of the next few hundred years until we see Jesus arriving. And Jesus is the beginning of God's prophetic plan being rolled out in so many ways, and this is one of them. Jesus comes and the plan takes shape. We heard it this morning on Palm Sunday if you know the story, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the crowds are going mental. They are worshipping him. They're shouting. They're waving branches. They're throwing their coats on the ground. And Jesus' enemies say, you ought to tell them to shut up. This is inappropriate. This is over the top. Who do they think you are? And Jesus says, do you remember what he says? We heard it this morning. I tell you this. If these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. There's the prophetic promise. The earth <laughs> can't help it. It's coming. There's a roar that is coming and building. And as Jesus, through his death and resurrection and ascension, we come to Pentecost and the Spirit is poured out, then that promise of his praise reaching to the ends of the earth gets ever more true. And we are part this morning of a great chorus across the generations, across the world, across the nations, every tribe and tongue and nation that will lift up his name and honor him and fear him. Wow, that's a different perspective on church, isn't it? That's a different perspective on an average Sunday morning. We're part of God's prophetic promise to declare his name and his honor. And it's going to happen if we don't do it, it's still going to happen because God has said and it will work. So, that's the glory of God. That's a continuation of our worship, in case you hadn't noticed, as we meditate, we think about the greatness of God. But what about the Israelites? 
You see, God's challenge to the Israelites through Malachi is this, well, I'm great, but do you see me as great? And do you treat me as if I was great? The Israelites were God's chosen people. He had shown His love to them, just like He said. He had fathered them, just like He said. He had shown them His greatness time after time after time, just like He said. He provided a way for them to come near to Him, for Him to be near them, for them to be near Him, the temple where God had chosen to live, not that he was constrained to it, but he chose to stay there. And they were to bring sacrifices to the temple to meet with God. Some were to deal with sin for forgiveness. Some were thanksgiving. Some were dedication, consecration. They all pointed. They're all a shadow. They were all talking about God's ultimate plan when the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, would be the one, the once and for all sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But that was still to come. And at this time, the Israelites had become disappointed. John touched on this last week. They'd become half-hearted. They were going through the motions. Instead of bringing perfect animals to sacrifice to God, They were bringing the duffers. They were bringing the sick ones in the flock, the injured ones, the ones that were going to actually be no good. Instead of bringing their best, as they had been told to and as they had promised to, they were bringing what they didn't want to keep. They were bringing the fag end of all that they had for God. It showed their true heart feelings toward God. It showed their contempt for God and His commands, a despising of His name and who He is. They lost sight of God. They were going through the motions. And here's the shocking thing that we heard at the beginning of that reading. God hated it. He hated it. Their worship, all their religious stuff had become offensive to God. It stinks because God is a God who looks at the heart. And they might have been doing some of the right things externally, but God looks at the heart. And we can fool. They could fool other people, but they couldn't fool God. They were still God's chosen people. They were still loved by God and fathered by God, but He wasn't pleased with them. They weren't a joy to his heart. So much so that his heart cries out, Oh, somebody, for goodness sake, shut the doors. Let's stop this charade. Let's stop this hypocrisy. Let's pack it all in. It offends him. The temple, God's earthly home, and he is asking the guests to leave. His home, he's saying, I'd really rather you didn't come. And he's saying through Malachi that he doesn't enjoy their company. In fact, neither is enjoying the other's company. Their relationship is not working, and he cannot stand the pretense. So God holds up a mirror 
to the Israelites to wake them up to what's really going on, to wake them up to what they're doing, and to wake them up afresh to who he really is so that their hearts towards him will change. God's not looking to throw them out. He's looking to change their hearts. And it's interesting to note, isn't it, if you think about it, that actually it was their hard attitude day by day that led to this problem. But it came into sharp focus when they gathered in the temple, when they gathered together. Their attitude kind of was brought into sharp relief as they gathered to worship God. Well, so much for the greatness of God, so much for the Israelites. Very interesting, you might say. What about us? Well, we need to be careful as we look to apply this. We need to be careful because we are on the other side uh, of the Bible, if you want. We're in part two. We're in a new covenant. Jesus has come. And now that a better, perfect sacrifice has been made for our sins, Jesus, we have no need, you'll be glad to hear, to bring animal sacrifices here this morning. It would be a lot less pleasant if we were still doing that, I assure you. We don't need to do that. Only putting our trust in Jesus is, that's the only thing that counts. That's what opens up for us now, the way to God. We can do nothing. We can bring nothing. We can contribute nothing that is going to open the way to God for us. But just by simply trusting in Him, the doorway to God is thrown wide open. The temple curtain was ripped apart so we can come in, God can meet with us, we can be at ease in His presence. We are His children, just like the Israelites, born again of the Spirit, loved by Him, fathered by Him, and He has shown His greatness to us in many, many ways. It's wonderful, isn't it? So, how can this ancient message apply to us? Well, I believe it can, and I believe it does because it's challenged me. So, let's think about some questions. Could it be that we, Hope Church Winchester, our guests, everybody else that's here, could we become over-familiar with God and take Him for granted? No, I hear you shout. Could we? Could this apply to me in my daily life, to us as we gather here? Could we, after all, we're in New Frontiers, after all, we've got a heritage and a precious one. I mean, I mean, could we be like this? Could we fail to appreciate God for who He really is? Well, there's a saying, isn't there? Don't know if you know it. Familiarity breeds contempt. What we know, what we know intimately, that we tend to kind of just, you know, get used to, don't we? Have you ever visited? A historic city. I know some of you have just come back from Rome, actually. Maybe you've been to Rome or, or Paris or, or London. They are exciting places to visit. They are full of historic buildings. 
You walk around London, every time you turn the corner, there's a famous street. Oh, that's on the Monopoly board. You, you see a famous building. You know, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating, endlessly fascinating. But if you stop for a minute and look around, whether it's London, Paris, or Rome, or wherever, you'll see lots of people going about their everyday life completely oblivious to the treasures and masterpieces that they walk past. And our hearts are like that. We have an amazing ability to kind of get used to amazing things. They don't become amazing anymore. We get complacent about them. That's our human hearts. I cannot get over the fact that the Colosseum in Rome is effectively a roundabout, as far as I can tell. Really? How about that? God spoke to us recently, I think, about this very issue, complacency. God spoke to us about his presence, him being like a volcano, this powerful force. And you know what happens with volcanoes. When they haven't erupted for a while, people, they get at ease with them, don't they? They start moving back up the slopes. They build houses. They plant crops. They settle down. It's never going to happen again. Never going to happen again. And then boom, it happens. Complacency means we think nothing's ever going to change. The landscape is never going to change. That the, the power we've got used to being next to isn't going to break out among us. And God is saying to us, wake up. We are next to the most powerful force in the universe. It's the living God. We can become desensitized to the wonder, the beauty, the awesomeness of God because we are in his presence all the time. That's why we need to consciously, actively engage in worship of God, in focusing deliberately our minds on him day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday. That's why we do, that we can see afresh who he is we can appreciate something more of who he is. We are encouraged in both Ephesians and in Corinthians to be those who are looking to please God. See, we don't have to make a way into God's presence anymore. Jesus has done that, but we can still please him. Our hearts have changed. Our desire is to please him. The Israelites came to God with their half-hearted sacrifices, insincere sacrifices, and God was not pleased with them. So what can we bring? What can we bring that honors his name, the name of our great God? How can we please our heavenly Father, bring a smile to his face? What sacrifices can we and should we bring that are fitting for our great God, because the New Testament takes the same language as the Old Testament and applies to us. We, the church, are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices now, acceptable to God through Jesus. The Israelites' heart attitude came into focus as they gathered. Maybe ours does too. Maybe what happens here on a Sunday morning, or maybe what doesn't happen here 
on a Sunday morning is a little reflection of what's been happening in our hearts through the week. So let's remind ourselves of what we can bring to please our great Father. Just going to run through a few things and just let's just allow God to touch our hearts really and, and perhaps refresh us in how we can please our Heavenly Father. Now before you start thinking you've got to sort yourself out, let me say this, we can bring to God our brokenness. We can bring to God our brokenness. Psalm 51 verse 7 says this, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. We're not called to fix ourselves. We're called to bring ourselves to God who is the great fixer of all people. We are, have to pretend we can bring our brokenness, our sense, which we all have to some extent, of our need of God, of our desperate need of Him. We don't have to try and be all okay for God to welcome us and for Him to be pleased with us. We just have to come as we are. You know that, don't you? You've heard all this. We have a come-as-you-are God. Come as you are. It's okay. God invites humble hearts. And actually, he can't resist a humble heart. If you've got a humble heart, you're in line for God to bless you, let me tell you. Because we can boldly approach God's throne. Hebrews 4.16 tells us this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help when we need it most. But note that the action's on us. Yeah? The action's on us. Come boldly. You don't have to sneak in. You don't have to kind of go round the back and slide in in case he notices you in your brokenness. No, come boldly because you know that you are welcomed with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had an encounter with God. You, you're not, you wouldn't say you were a Christian. I want to tell you this morning, God invites the broken to just come in. You don't have to be anything, do anything to come to God. You just come to God as you are. And if you want to know more about that, let me invite you again. We have an Alpha course starting on Tuesday night. I'll be there. I'd love to see you there. I'd love to tell you about this God who welcomes the broken. Secondly, our praise, and our, th or our praise, first of all. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says this, Through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. A sacrifice of praise to God continually. How are we acceptable to God? Well, we're accepted in the beloved, in Jesus. And there's a lovely passage in Isaiah 61 that says this. He said, he gave me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That sounded like the song, didn't it? So here's the question. Have you got your praise rags on? Have you? Because again, the onus is on us. Put them on. He's offered them to you. Like the prodigal son, he, he brings you this garment of praise. Put it on. Put it on. Continually offering a sacrifice of praise. Because praise is a choice. You know that, don't you? It's not an emotion. 
It's not a feeling. Praise is a choice. How many times does the psalmist say, I will praise the Lord? I will. That's it. End of. I will praise you, Lord. I will lift up your name. It's a choice. And often for me, it's my choice to lift my eyes to look to my great God rather than looking at something else. I will choose to praise my great God. That's what we've been doing this morning. Wonderful, wasn't it? Does it do your heart good to gaze upon our wonderful God, to bring him thanks? That's how our perspective changes. And giving thanks, the second half of that verse says this, that praise is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name or give thanks to his name. Thankfulness is a key. We live in a very ungrateful society, if you haven't noticed. We are, we are so blessed, and yet we're so ungrateful, so cynical. Let me tell you, thanksgiving is the antidote that you need to apply to the, the society that we're swimming in, to the, 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 the things that we hear all the time. God forbid that we become cynical about what we do together as a church. When we gather, we gather to God. We gather to this great, amazing God. And yet we can become even cynical about that. You know? Well, we need to focus on thanksgiving. I was at the men's breakfast yesterday. It was a great time. If you weren't there, I'd recommend it to you. Barry Jones, just sharing with us from his experience, focusing on what we have, not what we haven't. Focusing on what God has done, not what he hasn't done yet. That's a key to thanksgiving. And cynicism and ungratefulness are the spirit of our age. We need to push again. If you're a parent here, how wearying are ungrateful children? If you've been a child here, Anybody who hasn't been, see me after. If you've been a child, you probably may reflect that when you were younger, you didn't really appreciate all your parents did for you. Well, God doesn't want us to be ungrateful children. Let us not despise. Let's come with thanksgiving and with praise. We've come to worship. We, we haven't come to sing. You know that, don't you? Do you know the difference between singing and worship? It's the Spirit of God in our hearts. That's what turns singing into worship. And this morning, we've been worshipping. Well, I have been. I know lots of you have been. But it's in your heart. That's what makes the difference. And God doesn't want our singing. You know that, don't you? He has choirs of angels. They're pretty hot. Better than Gareth Malone. God has all the choirs and singing he could ever want. What he's after is our hearts our hearts, that actually just sing out of our hearts, thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my closest friend. Thank you for so much. It's our hearts. If it's just singing, let me tell you, God doesn't want to hear. Shut the door. We can bring, quickly now, something costly you know, there's an account in the Old Testament of David who was a worshipper who was going to go and buy something to give to God. And when he got there, because he was king, the guy he was buying it off said, oh, it's all right, have it for nothing. Do you know what David says? He says this, 
I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I'm not going to bring God flowers from the garage. Nothing wrong with flowers in the garage, by the way, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? Is there any garage owners here, you know, oh, bless you? You know what I'm saying. I'm not going to bring God something that's okay. I'm going to bring God my best, and that will cost me day by day, Sunday by Sunday, week by week. We want to give our best. Maybe it costs our selfishness. Maybe it costs us to not focus on ourselves, but to focus on Him and others. It may be our pride in what other, other people think of us. Because the other thing about David was this. He was passionate. He was passionate. 2 Samuel 6 tells us this. David, brace yourselves, David danced before the Lord with all his might. You all look stunned now. What's interesting is it didn't say he was very good did it? Didn't say he had moves. <laughs> Didn't say he really knew how to shake it, you know? What it says is, David danced before the Lord with all his might, passion. And when some people said, Phew, look at him, what making a right idiot of himself, David, do you know what David said? You know, don't you? I tell you what, he said, I'm willing to become even more ridiculous than this. Why? Because God's honor was more important than his reputation. Whew. I feel that. I can't dance. But I feel God's, you know, is it my reputation more important than his honor? David didn't think so. We are called to be passionate, but the Israelites were weary. Oh, here we go again. Sang that song last week, didn't we? I don't like that one. You know, they were wearied with praising God. Well, we've been going for 10 minutes now. I could do with a bit of sit down. Are we passionate about worshipping our God? Is it a delight or a drudge when we are serving God? This is day by day, not just on Sunday. When we serve God, is it, is it a bit of a drudge? Because it easily can become, can't it? If we're honest, we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. We lose sight of who we're doing it for. And as soon as we do that, it turns from a joy into a drudge. Got to do that again this week. Oh, we lose sight of of a call of God. We lose sight of God actually receiving our serving with, with, with his joy, with pleasure. And Sunday, as we turn up, can be a little window into our soul. Just quickly, I want to finish. Our honesty. God looks at the heart. I think that's a very scary thing because I might fool most of you most of the time. Some of the time. Well, all right, every now and then. But we will not fool God. We can't. And if it's not real, let's be honest, God would rather we stopped. Oh, that someone would shut the doors. Trying to appear we are something we are not is pretending. 
God is not pleased. You can look up for homework. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you will know in the New Testament. They pretended to be something they are not. It didn't end well. Jesus told the story of a Pharisee. Externally, the business, and he's a tax collector, a sinner. And what he said was, the sinner was heard in his prayers because he was honest. The other guy, all show. The Pharisee looked good, but with God, it's not externals. And finally, because I want to move on, our love for others. Hebrews 13 says this, don't forget, don't forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You want to please God's heart? Don't live just for yourself. That's what he wants us to do. Live for others. Do good. Share what you have. Sometimes our focus in the week and sometimes when we gather is probably more about us than on others. And God, I think, is pleased when he sees that we reflect his heart, which is for all. The Israelites' day-to-day attitude became so obvious when they gathered in God's presence, came into sharp focus, and maybe ours does here today. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Did you sense God's presence here this morning? I did. It was wonderful. Wonderful to be in the presence of God. And it makes us want to say how we ended up, doesn't it? Which is, I want to give you my heart. And I'm saying to you, allow the Spirit to speak to your heart this morning about how you can please him more. Maybe how you need to perhaps refresh your serving of God day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday. Because God makes his presence real. He comes among people who appreciate him, who praise him for who he is. He delights to dwell. He makes his home. That's what he's really saying. He makes his home among a people. And we are a people like that. We want to welcome him. We want to invite him in, saying, Lord, come and move among us. Come and show us your greatness. If the band could come back up, we're going to close. I just want to spend a few minutes as we close doing what I think is the only thing we can do in the light of this, which is to worship together as we finish. In a sense, to pick up where we left off earlier, of offering ourselves to God and allowing the Holy Spirit just to perhaps touch into our heart on fresh areas that he wants us to give to him, attitudes he wants us to change, things he wants to stir in us this morning to reach for in him. I don't do this very often because I think in some senses God doesn't care what we do, but I want to invite you. We're in the presence of this great and wonderful God. So I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me as we come to worship. You know, <laughs> there are moments, aren't there, that seems appropriate, you know? When the bride and groom come in, everybody stands up. <laughs> now, of course, God is here all the time. But you know what I'm saying? There's a moment where it's appropriate for us to stand in the presence of this great, amazing, all-powerful God just to bring our hearts